friends, welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we take the movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Grivy, joined as always by my friend, co-host, and guy who never wears a life jacket, Alex Dandino. There we go. I mean, that is in just, theme with what you just said. So that was fantastic. just a whole instrument ruined by a movie. Wow. As much as Steve Martin and Ed Helms have tried, it's over. No one's over. Never. No again. one wants to be associated with the banjo after nope. deliverance. All right, guys, we're starting a new curation today. First, a little business. Please go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash pod. Support the show. Help us grow the show. We do a lot of awesome stuff over there for our patrons to make that worth their while. We would appreciate it if you uh, could be so kind. Again, that's patreon.com slash pod. Subscribe to the YouTube Film Alchemist. We're on all the socials, including now TikTok. If you want to go over there and see some stuff we're making there, you can email the show filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. Make sure you're leaving five-star ratings and reviews. And go check out the work over on misfitparade.net if you want to see some films that we are working on and starting to roll out. We would appreciate all of the support. Thank you, thank you, thank you! Okay. Recovering from sickness, so bear with me. I think I'm I'm through it. I think I'm through it now. Uh, but we, there's no time to waste, Dr. Jones. We are here at the new curation. We are uh, for March. It's Oscar season. The mm-hmm. Oscars will be held in the middle of the yep, month. Yep. So we were going to do an Oscar-themed uh, curation, right? We were going to do one of these, let's talk about a bunch of the movies we like that are nominated for Oscars. Um, This year, the people who have made Oscar-nominated movies have decided to be huge fucking idiots and not make their movies available at the homes of people who have jobs and kids. Mm -hmm. Um, So we can't just fucking drop everything and go sit in a theater for three hours, you know, multiple times a week. Um, If your movie's nominated for an Oscar... You should have that fucking movie out for people to buy in their homes more than a month before the at Oscars. By, uh, at least by the middle of February. At least by the middle of February, right? It seems fucking insane to me that three to five of the movies we were going to talk about in the curation are not available. Neither here nor there. So we're audibling. We might have some of the newer movies we like this year. Um, a very weird year for the Oscars. Not a exceptionally strong batch of films this year there's some really good ones and then a lot of eh, all right um, i think that's well who knows thing. which ones we'll get to they're really good ones and then just like okay ones there's no there's like not the like grand movie. slam home run movie no. unless you're like oppenheimer barbie barbie people both fine movies um Great. but we'll see which of those we get to so we decided if we can't get to a movie by the time we need an episode we're going to open it up. Any movie ever nominated for Best Picture. So, that brings us to Deliverance. I can't say enough about Deliverance. I've always loved this movie. It's one of those, show me a horror movie that's not a horror movie, or like the scariest movie that's not a horror movie. Uh, great performances. Ultra effective. I love stories that happen in this beautiful spot of, when you don't have to go that far to be outside of society, laws, ideals, and just watching how that happens. This movie's a lot about people who have been coddled and sheltered by society and laws and this and that. Watching them kind of play God, right, and stomping out casually into nature 
like, oh, everything else has worked out for us. We're, we're fucking white guys in Atlanta. Everything's been good for us. This will surely be the same until it isn't, man. And you realize we are not that far. Uh, this is a Batman thing, right? We're all one bad day away. Um, from it all just being ripped apart. And I love stories that, you know, just kind of remind us how unsteady this fucking agreement we have with the rest of the species is. Yeah. And so, I mean, between the cast and the script and it's tense, it's brutal. I, other than the worst day for night shots of all time, this is a fairly <laughs> flawless film to me. Right. So, Alex, opening thoughts on Deliverance. Yeah, for most of the movie, I thought we were watching like the opposite of Night Country. I'm like, oh, cool. It's just daytime all the time in Atlanta. I didn't know. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's just a great, it's a great movie about. I, it's just a great movie about the like survival instincts we all have that kick into gear mm-hmm. when survival is actually at stake. I, I think that's a really fascinating thing. Like, it's wonderfully cast for a movie that was like. I mean, holy shit. The story about the stories about how this movie was made is pretty shocking. Like even by like 70s standards, pretty crazy. Like they rock bottom. They purposely like rock bottomed uh Borman's uh <laughs> Borman's production in terms of budget to the point mm-hmm. where he couldn't hire huge marquee actors like Again, we think of Burt Reynolds as somebody completely different before this. This was the movie besides Smoking the Bandit made him like a megastar at the box office. This was yeah. the movie that like made him Burt Reynolds, though. Yeah. Like Smoking the Bandit made Burt Reynolds like, you know. Now he was like a pop culture icon. Yeah, that was like pop culture. Icon. This like people are like, holy shit, that TV guy is really good at acting. We should put him in more movies. But and I mean, this yeah, was you Ned, got a Ned youngish Beatty's, John Voight. Ned Beatty's, Ned Beatty's first amazing. Movie. Like, it's a really fascinating... Ronnie Cox went on to a really good kind of, like, always a rich prick career. Yeah, Ronnie Cox went on to being, you know, the great Paul Verhoeven character in every Paul Verhoeven movie. Yeah. Um, Getting uh, fucking his arms elongated as he falls out of the tower in Robocop. (laughs) But listen to this year, though. Now we know why, because he got yanked out of its socket. Um, Yeah, and yeah, that's what he looks like at the end. Uh, In context of this year. So I was like, how did this movie not win Best Picture? mm -hmm. Right? Uh, the Godfather won that year. This was 1972, the 45th Oscars. Which the is Godfather, arguably a better Cabaret, movie. Cabaret, and two I can honestly say I have not seen. The Immigrants, with an E. Immigrants, with an E. And Sounder. Right? But you're like, to fucking run into The Godfather is just a really unfortunate award yeah. season buzzsaw. Well, like, there's always, <laughs> there's always that, like, especially at this time in the 70s, there's always that one movie that's just this, like, juggernaut of a movie that everyone's like, well, whatever comes in second, I'm sure, was also very good. And that would be The God, like, The Godfather and if Godfather If you start Part going through decade by decade, the 70s have a really good case for just the decade of filmmaking. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's a great film, right? And it is. It's one of those... It's so fascinating, right? Because we kind of talk about An there's this film. we're gonna we're gonna rape this landscape, we're gonna destroy all this beauty. It's kind of these montages of industrialization mm-hmm. with guys just kind of talking and laughing and shooting the shit. And it, it I actually love that opening scene too, right? Because we kind of start that way. These guys get out of their truck and immediately are just shitting all over these genetic deficiencies, I think as they call them. 
And the famous scene in this opening that I think is actually a great microcosm for this movie. Because it's always existing in these ethical debates, right? So Ronnie Cox gets out. He's playing his guitar. There's a little boy who has something going on with him who's kind of matching him beat for beat. And it's it's become the iconic, horrifying soundtrack of the movie. That and the sound. Wee! Those two sounds have now been frozen and is terrifying uh, because of this movie, right? Yeah. I actually love that scene, right? Because what you see is Ned Beatty walking around just being a huge piece of shit. And I was like, man, for Ned Beatty, whatever's going on with him, short, got his own problems, hairline, whatever the fuck's wrong with his teeth, he sure loves to stomp around someone's front yard and declare them as genetically inferior. Uh, Burt Reynolds was kind of taking the piss out of him. But there's this moment, right? That moment that's become scary. It's actually this kind of beautiful moment of these two people from two different worlds who bond over this universal music, right? Mm-hmm. And you see the kids smiling, and Ronnie Cox, like, I play with this kid forever, right? The, the dad's over there. He stops pumping gas. He just starts fucking shucking. He's like, let's go, let's go, let's go. You're like, uh, okay, cool. The moment the song ends, right, the, the kid looks away and won't acknowledge him anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's this really nice kind of reminding us that even though these are all Southerners, they're all white guys, whatever, there are these really distinctive fucking lines that we draw on each other. And so watching the guys who are just these freewheeling, except for Lewis, who has other shit going on, these freewheeling, like, you know, hey, we're just here to fucking canoe and drink some beers or whatever, uh, watching them come in and just kind of be so fucking dismissive and rude and horrible... I think it's such a wonderful opening to this well, movie. Again, it's like this spectrum of what modern men were in 1972. So it's like you have Burt Reynolds' character who's this, you know, quote, mountain man who's like trying to get back to this yeah, survival. Yeah, now he'd be like, on like Instagram talking about like yeah, alpha This is like a guy who, like, and- in the 2024 parlance, Burt Reynolds' character is like Bear Grylls. But, like, Bear Grylls' sidekick. No, I was going to say, like, a guy who watched Bear Grylls, yeah. and he goes, that guy's a puss. I drink my own piss with my cereal. Like, one right. of those guys. Like, right? He's one of those guys <laughs> who's just like, oh, I live off the land. Like, people who go camping. <laughs> and I, I don't have a problem with people who go camping. Like, camping's great. I, you know, I've you yeah, done it a few times. Do whatever like, hobbies you want. Whatever hobbies you want. There is a but- bit of Lewis that feels like he came out here specifically to shoot humans. Oh, I, I mean, like. To me, it's like all a put on. Like, it's one of those guys who just, he's like, oh, I love survivalist stuff. And you're like, okay, cool. Congratulations. You're that guy. And then you have Ed. And Ed's like, to me, the character that I think we all kind of hope we are, which is just a guy who's out to enjoy nature almost. And yeah. then he's kind of the glue of the friend group. Yeah. And then you have well, Ronnie you start Cox. Watching, you're like, why the fuck is anyone friends with Lewis? Yeah. Dude, he seems like such, he's such, a such an alpha dude, and he's like sitting he there calling, calling Ned, Beatty Ned Beatty chubby the, the whole chubby time. Boy. I don't want to be with that chubby boy anymore. Like, yeah, All right, cool. And, and then, then you have Ned like, Beatty. What's his name? Ronnie Cox says that at one point. He's like, "Yeah, he wants to be one with nature, but he knows he can't hack it." Yeah. It's like these guys clearly talk shit about yeah, Lewis they talk all shit the about time when he's not time. around. Like Ronnie Cox is Ronnie Cox, and then you have Ned Beatty, who's like the other side of the <sighs> argument of Lewis, which is. Oh, Bobby is just an insurance salesman who says he he said he went outside one time. That's all. Uh, that's, okay. You know. So let I do think this movie makes arguments that it's not meaning to in a way. Often. 
Because <laughs> I do think the movie, if you watch it now, right? Yeah. In this point in my life, I watch it, I'm like, man, Lewis is a fucking douche. Mm-hmm. He's setting them on a course for things that they're not ready to go. So even if these other men don't find them, yeah. there's a good chance this isn't going to go well for some of them, right? Yeah. All he does is insult Ned Beatty constantly, right? He's like the soft little weak little chubby, chubby boy. boy. He's the keep, thing. Here's the rolling. problem. I get it. He's insulting him. You're like, all right, so the guy who uses phrases like I'm an alpha, right? Anyone you know who says shit like that is an absolute fucking loser. Mm-hmm. No big deal. We know some of these people. Fine. Many of them, actually. The moment that the movie then is like, hey, you know what we should have Ned Beatty's character do? Say that he's going to go hump the shit out of his blow-up mattress without access to, like, a shower or laundry. And that's like, oh, they're telling us Lewis is right. Yeah. Like, they're trying to tell us Lewis is right. I don't know if that's what they well, mean. I think that's the thing about the movie is like Ronnie Cox and John Voight's characters are these people that you could probably aspire to be a little bit. You're like, oh, they're like yeah, pieces of shit. Don't bring your fucking sad guitar songs to the campfire. Yeah. But other like, than that, he seems like a cool guy. Yeah. I mean, Ronnie Cox's character is that guy who brings his guitar everywhere. You're like, yeah, I get it. You play guitar. Thank you. Yeah, uh, you were in I a band Wonder when you were 15. Wall. I understand. Thank you. Yeah. But like. You can't finger me. Put your guitar away. Right. I'm like, there's no girls here. Like, you're you're not gonna get laid playing your guitar. We all think you're well, annoying. well, well. That's not how Ned. That's not why Ned yeah. Beatty got laid. <laughs> and what um, they didn't hear a cover of fucking Green Day, and they're like, that's it. Yeah, they didn't hear Longview, and they're like, well, all right, I'm coming now. It it's so it's this really uncomfortable. <laughs> so it's this really uncomfortable thing though, because I think to me Ned Beatty's character is so fascinating in that. He's clearly like this victim at the very beginning of the movie, but also sort of, I think John Borman unintentionally make like gives this direction of like, he's still a piece of shit. So like when terrible John things Borman start hates happening, him. you're like, dude, watch how he him. acts when he first shows up to the he's banjo kid's house. Asshole. He's such a fucking piece of shit. Yeah. Like, you cannot just talk about these people like they're left behind. Like, they're not hearing you either. I don't want to body shame Ned Beatty. um, But I'm saying you cast Ned Beatty and then you have him throwing around all these physical dispersions everywhere. That's telling me what this character is and isn't to you. Yeah. And I think one of the interesting things looking at the movie nowadays is there is this intrinsic valuing of manliness. Yeah. Right, that you have to be a man who can take care of yourself, who can climb mountains and go fucking kill a hillbilly and, you know, do all this shit. You got to do man shit. While constantly assaulting and undercutting the male audience, right? It's telling us, hey, this is a movie for men who pine to be men again, right? Society and women and laws and rules have neutered us. While also kind of putting our noses in it and saying, this is what that fucking rampant masculinity becomes right and there and it is it's one of those i mean again you take it back to the early 70s sadly you know this is not the first rape that had ever been in a movie it's probably one of the most explicit rapes of a man right yes, i would at say that that's time accurate. so a very male focused audience is coming to watch this movie they think is going to be this fucking bro romp through the woods battling rednecks and they're forced to really sit yeah, and really watch this at the edge of society. These other two men say our manliness will trump you and we have a gun. Right. And they're fucking tying him by the neck to a tree. 
and slowly cutting his tits and you know they're like the chase scene of Ned Beatty not to be too graphic and you know we always do this with like these kind of scenes in movies but it's it's filmed slow and vulgar and you can feel the the purpose of that scene it feels in the movie is specifically to put men in that that fucking boiling water right you've seen lots of movies that implied female rape and this and that there is this thing at that time right like it was not a very open and okay society for homosexual men no and this is you know it's not even about that it's just this fucking degrading of another yeah i mean i think that's that's the more like brutal thing is it's not about like anybody being gay or homosexual at all it's about no it's about it's about power yeah. You see Beatty's character all of a sudden reacting more to like, I just don't want people to know about this because I want, you know, and it, it's heartbreaking. So you're like, yeah, no one wants you go through this whole spectrum of what that crime does to victimize people. Right. right. That that sitting in and making men, because I think a lot of men, when these scenes come on, it's like, well, I would never do that. That's fucking right. horrible. I, I understand. This movie puts it on us. Right. This this toxic masculine problem. Mm-hmm. of another man assaulting a man right it's it's one of those that at the time it's like yeah you could easily be a victim of this crime too this is not something that only happens to women or this and that mm-hmm. and it's just it's such a fucking vulgar it makes your skin crawl rewatching the scene but you can oh, tell yeah, in the true. way they film it and the way the shots are laid out the exact purpose is to take this audience that came in to cheer these men and fucking really make them get in the mud with the implications of where this goes when you start eschewing everything right and you have this like remnant of ronnie cox runs up and sees his friend you know assaulted and this and that but still clinging on to this this idea of like we have laws we're a society and watching all of those men react to it right and imagining what's going on in those audiences i i'm Pretty anti these kind of scenes in movies for the most part. Very much so. I think this one does have a lot of narrative purpose, at least. It's interesting you put it that way, because, like, to me, the narrative purpose is actually almost the opposite of what the normal narrative purpose is for this sort of scene in a movie because in this sort of scene in a movie, like it's famous now because it's just so shocking when you watch it. But that's like, to me, the value of it in the movie is you remember this scene. It sticks with you. You get to the end of this movie and it's almost like Ned Beatty's character doesn't like it's 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 a thing that didn't happen to him. like this. Like the shock and terror of it happening doesn't like sit with him the way that you expect it to in this movie. And it's almost disgusting in that he just like shrugs it off. It's, it's it's fascinating. You know what I was thinking about? Because there's a scene at the end, right? Because you watch him try to snap into, like, now I got to be, you know, not the chubby guy that Lewis was yelling at that day. I don't like getting yelled oh, at. Now I got to be. Salesman. He's the so only when, one that when we Lewis know even is baiting him. So Lewis even puts it to him and is like, hey, man, you got raped. You're the one who has to wear this, even though I just shot a guy. Yeah. And he goes, what do you think? And you see him, like, lash out like he's going to punch the corpse, like, he has to react in a way that Lewis will find satisfactory. And you watch the weight of him having to fucking 
do this dance of like he was just victim the victim of a fucking horrifying unimaginable crime yeah but the second time he's kind of victimized it's because he's got to fucking butch up around the guys now right and get out and find this and they're using him as an excuse to bury bodies and this and that and the scene at the end right when he's like i don't think the cops are buying it so not only was he victimized now he's running point on the cover-up and then when he's scared he's like i don't think they're fucking buying it and you know whether he's gonna get in trouble or they're gonna find out what happened to him out there right we don't know if he has a wife and kids at home whatever when fucking john voight is like roughhousing him and slamming him up against the wall i was like the idea of just grabbing someone who just suffered this and like, I'm going to fucking re victimize him with my fucking manliness because part of the journey of the movie is watching him becoming what Lewis thinks he is. Yeah. And watching that new version of him, like jostle this survivor around. And again, I think a lot of movies it's done in like this really cheap titillating way that is hard to fucking suffer it being in a movie. Sure. I feel like this one at least what it what it really is driving home is that that crime for an audience that I don't think appreciates the trauma of it properly. And it's sad that maybe we have to see it through our own like fucking point of views or whatever. Um but yeah cuz I I think this scene is so prevalent for the rest of the film. And I think watching the ripple effects of it, right? Or of just these guys realizing like, you know, Ed's character Now I got to go kill a redneck to prove that I'm tough because I was about to be sucking a dick. Yeah. You know, had they not gotten shot, like we don't know it would have just like what crimes were coming. And so you watch all these men trying to rewrite themselves and it stops becoming this like battle versus mother nature, even though that's kind of there, right? That kind of fades to the back of this battle versus who they thought they were when they came out in these woods. I mean, like the concept of survival becomes less about the elements and more about just themselves. Like, can you survive and get to the other side of this event without becoming this version of yourself that maybe you're, maybe you don't love, maybe you don't like, can you still be a part of society in a way that's meaningful if you succumb to these like baser urges, essentially like these guys, like Ronnie Cox's whole thing about laws and those kinds of things is like, it's the last gasp of please. Can yeah. we just be civilized? Let's let's, let's just be just the clinging people. for let's something be to hold. Right. Well, like me and Amy were watching it and we were debating. We're like, what would you do? And I was like, yeah, if I saw someone, like, trying to rape all my friends and I could take the shot, I was like, yeah, I'm doing that. And she's like, yeah, I agree with that, too, but why would you hide the body? And it's another one of those moments where the movie is almost flawless, but it makes a couple, like, narrative missteps. Mm-hmm. Like, at the end, when the, the chef, sheriff's deputy is the rapist brother. And he's just like, don't let him go. I know they're up there. It's like... So now you're telling me that Lewis was right to bury the body because this guy's cousin is in law enforcement. It's like, you know, no. Yeah, no, I, think I don't that's think they're weird... right to bury the body. I think, I think everyone would thing. mostly agree yeah. that he's right to take the shot. 
But that's what I mean. It's always in these well, kind the movie, of interesting. Yeah, I think and again, I think it's different because me and Amy are doing it, laying in our bed, comfy and safe, and we're like, "Oh yeah, we'd fucking shoot a guy with an arrow, no problem. We'd do this." And it's like that's the whole point of the movie. Yeah, these like, fucking philosophical movie... things you bullshit about over a joint or at a bar. Yeah, when you're in the shit and you're fucking shaking, what do you do? Yeah, the movie does a very good job of giving all these characters room to make like critical human mistakes. Yeah. I agree. I thought that was a very strange thing for the movie to, for, for the story to be about for the movie to give justification for what it was it's like, I don't need that in a movie, especially like this, like the ambiguity and the like moral complexity is what gets you through. Like to give any sort of justification for doing there's no what they justification did. for burying a body yeah, like ever. No, if you find yourself burying don't a do body those things in a movie to yeah. justify like i don't need to just like it's a horrific act no matter what don't justify yeah. i don't want to justify a terrible fucking criminal need to even if you should it. not go to jail for putting an arrow in his back because he's about to fucking commit another rape yeah okay once you start burying him you are on a bad path. You are making a bad fucking choice. You are saying that what what I just did I know is not right. And I like when your dog tries to throw up under the, you know, kitchen table to save you and them the embarrassment, and then you put your foot in it later, you're like, This isn't better. Yeah. <laughs> this is still wrong. This is not how we should be living in our house. Um so yeah, they know what they did is wrong. And Lewis I think being the focal point of that, right? Like probably pretty fucking stoked that he got to shoot someone. Like, was probably fucking pumped about it and took the shot before he yeah. thought about the rest of it. Well, and then you go further, and you know, and then the when the movie presents the opportunity again of, like, because it start, it's a weird, like, callback to this, so he, uh, like, when he's hunting in the morning and he misses the deer. He sees the deer and he shakes It's a strange, it. like, thing because you're like, oh, this guy is not comfortable taking a life, let alone a human's life. So, yeah, which I think is pretty fucking normal. Yeah, yeah. Not to say that that's not cool. You should always yeah. be uncomfortable taking life. That's, well, that's bad. what me and Amy said, and I was like, yeah, if I saw someone trying to, like, rape you, I would fucking take the shot. And you're like, this gets back to, like, that gun argument I have with all my friends. I need fucking guns everywhere. Blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, I get it. When you are, you know, someone wakes you up, they hit you in the head with a club, and you're disoriented. You maybe had four beers before you went to bed. You're overweight, out of shape. It's pitch black. Your wife and kids are screaming. You're going to roll your fat ass out of bed, unlock your gun safe, pull your gun, take perfect non-shaky aim with blood <laughs> running in your eye in the middle of your room and John Wick everyone. Like, yes, that's a thing that I believe will happen. Right. Uh, what I actually believe will happen most of the time is by the time you would need it, you're probably already fucked. Right. Um, you know, and I'm not even like an anti everyone shouldn't have a gun or whatever. But I think this like myth that like in the middle of the night, I will be ready to pop into action. And then I was like, I imagine like when I get up in the middle of the night and I just have to pee and those little baby I steps I take so I don't stub my toe and yeah, trying to not care about people having guns. I care about the fact that like people present the wrong. We're not doing this debate on this. We're show, not doing that. What I'm saying is what I'm saying is Lewis is a guy who's making the wrong argument. Yeah, exactly. I don't mind people having guns. It's making the wrong argument for justifying having like a billion guns seems stupid. And it's the yeah. same thing for Lewis, which is 
Well, you're justifying your actions with yeah. the wrong argument. John Voight is not off or wrong or less of a man because it's hard for him to kill something. Yeah. That is a normal human place for this movie to it exist. It should be. He's yeah. a fully fleshed out member of society. Lewis is one of these guys that gives off a real things were not going to go well for Lewis, right? He's one of these guys that's on a dark path. Right. He has one friend who seems to have a lot of other friends and he's the like weird guy that they're like, well, he plans pretty good trips. We'll keep doing this stupid shit with him, right? The guy who doesn't drink and just judges you and talks in metaphors about the old days and how much <laughs> pioneers mattered and shit. You're yeah. like, no one would like or want to hang out with Lewis right for very long right and this is that moment where you're like fuck because lewis even says he's like this is not a fucking game and lewis goes oh this is a game and he goes and now you get to play it and i was like that exactly is why so the movie is reminding us while this is a lewis written fantasy the movie is reminding us that lewis is a fucking moron and not a hero of this film that he isn't bringing these fucking tragedies on himself and them too um, I'll ask you this. Do you think just the unmotivated redneck rapist is a weird kind of curveball in the movie? I thought it was going to be more tied and maybe I've just missed something all these years to them specifically insulting these other. It just it feels very I don't think it's I mean, look, whether it's spoken or whether it's spoken or not, I, I mean, I think they're all sort of tied together. I'd say. More prevalently, though, it's less about the like random. It's less about the ram randomness and of the act, and more about what. Maybe the you're right, though. Maybe that the the random nature of it just being there. Well, it's it's an interloper thing. Like it's yeah. you are you don't belong. Like and they say. I mean, they yeah. even tell them like you don't belong out here. Like this isn't your place. Like, and they try to talk their way out of it. And again, like there's a way to talk their way out of it. Like and they start to do it. The problem is, is that these people. Well, do Ned not Beatty want to be starts off to. fucking immediately being condescending, and again, right. that makes it sound like I'm blaming him for what happens. I'm not. No, that's not what it is. But like, you... but I think to your point, the randomness of they still think they're in a society, yeah, that will protect them. Well, and I think that's the key component here. Is like these guys come out to the woods to relax. These people live here. That's their life. So for you to take for granted what's going on and then on top of that to represent this industrialization in a way that's so not like not their violence, but like your presence feels violent because well, the idea is these that guys it, are coming out to get their last vacation as these people's homes right. and lives are about well, to like be they don't know who these away. guys are like they even say like, oh, are you guys from the, you know, the company or like you guys, you know. They don't they're know they're mad they and they're they seem to have a motivation their, for why their... they're taking their pound of flesh. For sure. Yeah, of course. They shouldn't. No. But, like, they're protecting their property, so to speak. That's how they feel. So, like, they're not going to ask questions. Yeah. They're going to make an example of these people. They're taking these guys and punishing them as, as a microcosm to the bigger entities. Yeah, I think the so. The force is crushing them. And, but it is. And it's such a weird. It's such a gray area because it. This movie feels like a movie that to me that's always been written in black and whites, right? And I watched it today. I was like, there's so much more nuance in how they roll all of this out. Sure. Right? And, like, I still don't love the, like, the other redneck comes back and kills Ronnie Cox. 
Because he's just having he like a freak out for Ronnie no Cox? reason. I must. Well, we I, don't know if he shoots him because right. it's hard to imagine that. Like that's a tough fucking shot. Well, the shot looks like Ronnie Cox, and I don't remember hearing the audio. It looks like Ronnie Cox is just having a panic attack. Yeah, Same. not wearing his vest and the fucking rapids kill his ass. That's which what I is thought. Likely, um, they never show a bullet wound. But I thought the whole like him climbing—that's like where the worst day for night of all time is. John Voight just like, huh? You know, my buddy's got a busted leg. Our boats are fucked up. I better just free climb this like side of a fucking cliff and pray that I don't die too. And then to shoot the the interloper, it's just it's all right. Like that that segment to me well, like, is not important anymore. Not What's a important lot of... is once they decide to bury that body. Weirdly, it's almost as if the movie's over. Well, I think deciding to bury the bodies is a strange. It's always struck me as odd. Like again, like and then maybe it's just because I'm not, I'm not from the seventies. But you've never I, killed a guy, yeah. I've never killed a guy, but I assume when you like make a mistake or when something like that happens, you're supposed to tell the authorities somebody died. It's a strange like cover up scenario because I don't know what. Yeah, I think that weirdly if it's because works. like, oh, did they think, oh, no one's going to believe us or something like that? Yeah, well, he does that whole argument of like, it'll be their cousins filling the jury where. See, I think again, I think the movie makes a little bit of an error and it, it's like, let's do some fucking fighting mother nature shit. And you're like, no, 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 we've already established that's not what this is about. Right. Uh, the mother nature doesn't care if we're here or not. Right. Like it's going to flood everything. We make a dam. It'll just flood like the water will find a way when they bury the body you're still having this debate with them about, did they do the right thing? Right. What are they going to do when they get to town? Will Ronnie Cox be able to survive and like not break down and tell someone what if he says, I'm telling them no matter what. And they're like, well now we buried him. And that's, you know, Ronnie Cox becomes the enemy. That kind of shit is interesting. John Voight climbing the mountain is not an interesting segment of this movie. I'll tell you what's interesting about that segment is it's actually John Voight doing it. Yeah, they're like, oh, we got to go. And he's in the boat with a broken leg. Ah, like, that's not yeah. interesting. Did you ever, did you ever hear that story is about them this? lying to the fucking cops and shit. So right. I think that that what is a crime and what can we tolerate and what if we got to be in charge of the law, those moments work. There's this little part there in kind of that last, like, getting off the river bit that I feel like is – not super valuable to the movie, even if it's memorable. Sure. Did you ever hear the insurance story from this movie? Oh, I couldn't imagine. So Warner Brothers, in an effort to like actually kill the film from being made, like rock bottom John Borman's budget to the point where he actually ref- they I don't think they uh, they refused to insure the film. Hell yeah. So they went out and shot this movie. There's no insurance. So therefore, there's no stuntmen. So these guys all performed their own stunts, including in John Voight climbing, climbing, climbing that fucking rock face. John Voight did it himself. Climbing down that fucking rope. Yeah. So famously, there's only one scene. There's only one sequence that um, Burt Reynolds asked to reshoot. It's when uh, the canoe goes over that waterfall because they uh-huh. do it with a dummy first. And they thought it looked bad. So uh, Burt Reynolds like, I want to do it. Burt Reynolds does not remember anything other than hitting his elbow, his shoulder and his head and waking up on his bedside. John Borman, he asked John Borman, he's like, how did it look? And he goes, it looked like a dummy going over the waterfall. So like, <laughs> like if you like, there's like that hard headed Burt Reynolds story, 
But all these guys, to me, what's amazing, and I think it kind of like it's why Deliverance feels so. It's why Deliverance isn't this just weirdly kind of like B movie like Grindhouse type thing. Because whatever happened out there while they're making this movie feels important in a way because these guys were in the elements facing a lot of this themselves the way that... They were Tropic Thundering. They were Tropic Thundering, Put them boys in the shit. Yeah. Like, there's something that feels very visceral, so... And again, I'm not saying you need that knowledge to watch this movie, but having known that, because I generally read... uh, I generally read, like, about what it takes to make these kinds of movies, especially in the 70s, because... Dude, it was a wild west. Like people were just making yeah. shit up. Well, I think that's the it's thing. It's it just like these pieces that had less things interfering with them getting to the real points of the movie. Yeah. Now movies are very very focus grouped and they're they're thought of a lot as a product before they're even coming well, out. And that's always been a part of the business. Right. I, I want to with the numbers we play at it's so big. Something like this where it's like this has a that kind of like Lord of the Flies yeah. thematic thing, which is just let's take these guys out with some really good actors and let's have them fucking argue. Yeah. What would you do? There was this. What would you do? There is a question I had uh, I thought about because this is why I like I really by the end of the movie, I really did not like Bobby. I was like, what a piece of shit character to go through something so horrific and kind of wind up the same person on the other side almost. Which is when John Voight gets out of the hospital and he goes to that colonial lodge, he walks in. Ned Beatty is just like enjoying having a meal and talking to these folks and all this kind of stuff. John Voight has this like breakdown at the table really quickly. Mm -hmm. I I wanted to ask you, like Ned Beatty has like no residual. Like did that anger I think it's the exact opposite. Really? Okay. I think he's. I think for the rest of Ned Beatty's life, because of the trauma he suffered, Mm -hmm. I don't think he really thinks that corn is special. I think he's latching on to things that make him feel unbothered, untouched. I like that. Um, That he can just like everything's great for him. But I imagine in his head and in every lonely moment, Ned Beatty is broken. Well, I'll say this. The one. And so I I I think I think it's like hyper. Yeah. He becomes like a hyper like dad next door because it did really bother me until the very end when he says, I probably won't see you for a while. I'm oh, like, they'll oh. never see each other. Again no, they'll because never see each other every again. Every time like, he sees John Boyd, see those people again. He will not be able to suppress what happened to them. Right. So, yeah, I, I think Ned Beatty is actually carrying an enormous fucking weight. I like and that. I think one I like of the, that Ned Beatty's better. such a charming actor. Mm-hmm. Like he's such a kind of empathy machine actor. Because that scene does feel very odd that he's just like showered and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Besides the fact that he just made it and is alive, I think he, he's hiding a lot there, right? And I think John Voight is trying to fucking hide it and just he fucking can't. Like, and he only breaks down for like a couple seconds and then sniffs it up when the peas get handed to him. Right. Right. And it's, you know, then the rest of the movie, he's this like, we don't remember we didn't do this. And he's like being a tough guy again. So in a weird way, he's the one who didn't change enough for me. Like he almost like saw Lewis like holding out in the hospital and then Lewis like winks and he's like, I don't remember nothing. And he's like, yeah, Lewis is the man. It's like, no, Lewis fucking sucks. Yeah. 
This was Lewis who put you guys in this this fucking slaughterhouse to begin with. Right. And he it feels like he took some of the wrong lessons. But then the movie at the end reminds us, well, he's going to be horrifically haunted mm-hmm. for the rest of his days. I don't know if I believe the movie's telling us that anything will ever come from this. I mean, the cop literally says, I never want to see you guys again. You're like, well, maybe that's yeah. the cop's way of saying, I understand what you did. Yeah. Which, by He's the saying, way, is I the guy who wrote the I want my town to die a peaceful death. Just fucking let us go. Yeah, let us go. Like, yeah. Do you think that the movie's hinting at that they'll pay for their crime someday or that they're just going to pay by being haunted? I think they just have to be haunted for the rest. Because that's like the point of the dream that John Voight's having that closes the yeah. movie out. It's the kind of like, carry shot before the It's a shot, thing yeah. that's just going to haunt you forever because that's... You didn't... You did not make the right choice when it comes to being a human being. You made this survivalist choice when, like, you don't need to be a survivalist. Yeah, yeah and that's thing. You... you tried to play lewis but you are a man you're a you are a man guy. you're a person you're not this caricature yeah, and, of a man and again i think a lot of people watching this would say yeah shoot the fucking guy who's about to rape your friend yeah it says choices after right you can't and they're they're immediately undercutting what seems like a noble like yeah i think everyone would do that right with a oh well now they're just doing crimes now they're fucking doing crimes and they're these people to them are not people I would argue that most rapists aren't actually people anyways that I would value. I wouldn't argue it. I'd just flat out say it. Yeah. So that's what. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if I saw a guy and it was like, oh, yeah, that guy's going after like my friends or family or wife or whatever. And you're like, yeah, he just raped someone else. He's going for another. I don't I wouldn't feel bad at all taking the shot. But again, that's the these kind of ethical problems that we get to fucking argue from our safe, cozy podcasting spots. Um, it's true. I think the movie shows that it's it's much more complex than that. It's just a really right that great... Cain and Abel doesn't happen, and then Cain's like, "Oh, murder fucking rules, dude! This was why didn't I do this years ago?" Like there is a heavy trauma. It's just this really to doing this. Yeah, it's just this really. It's interesting because I think for seventy two, it's not, but I think so many years later, it is really almost forty years later. It is this fifty fifty years later. It's this, it's just, it's about the nuance and sort of the gray area of the world. Probably in the 70s, it's a very different story, but we just live in such a gray area now. Well, I think it actually kind of benefits greatly from that very masculine butch POV that it seems to present. I very much agree. Because it seems like now it's, now you watch the movie, you're like, clearly they're trying to tell us that is not the way we should be living. It's this ultra fucking survivalist butch fuck everything in our path right yeah. in the time i'm guessing that was a decision to try to keep the audience who would come to the movie happy yeah by showing mm-hmm. them like even if bad stuff happens to you you can fuck climb a mountain and shoot people in the neck and fuck do well, cool rope yeah shit. i mean it's like oh but it's but okay you watch it now and you're like they are really yeah they're absolutely reinforcing a caricature i agree it's i don't really, know it's such it's, it's just a such a watch it's a great, interesting movie. And even with like some real head scratching decisions, <laughs> I think thematically it's just so fucking potent. Yeah. And even when it's doing shit like the, you know, I got to go kill the other redneck segment, which to me is it's always been fun, but it's about as wasteful a segment of like a really good movie as I've ever seen. And again, it, it's one of those. It seems to always be reinforcing the wrong lesson. 
Yeah. Which now I think years later you're like, ah, I see what you're doing there. Like that's on purpose. That's not a the movie doesn't know what it's doing. Yeah. But again, I, I I just think it's interesting and fascinating and devastating and beautiful and you know, I love Ned Beatty's performance. Um I think it's just gut wrenching, man. And you know, it's a scene that took this most horrific crime and like I said, if you're gonna have that in your movie it needs to fucking matter a lot and be done with some deference and i think this one is yeah um i think for i just to not i fucking be... love this movie which is i think another testament because it's not a real carefree romp <laughs> no but i think like the critical thing about that is to use that sort of thing as a plot point is the like overuse I think what's fascinating is like to about deliverance particularly is to use that not as just a plot point, but as this catalyst for the rest of the movie, for the rest of the story to just it's just like that spite it's like that spider web crack you get on your windshield. It's just like eventually something's it will b- blow apart. Well, it, it does an emotional from things. dusk till dawn where it says you think you're watching these guys battling a river. Right. No, no, no. We are battling the inner man. Right. And that is now the front and center of the movie. So it is just this big fucking hard, violent turn. Yeah. Um, I just I really enjoy this movie. I think it's so well crafted. It's very good. I think in most years, like this movie's better than a ton of movies that have won Best Picture. It just fucking ran up against The Godfather. Yeah. And And that's just the fucking And like there's few movies that I think are sort of untouchable in terms of like how great they are. The Godfather is probably the only movie that I'm like, I will never dispute how great the Godfather is. Like it is a really Godfather one and two. I think we're like two of these years right here. Yeah. Nearly for being three hours each. Nearly perfect. Just some of the best filmmaking. Yeah. And they're not movies I watch often, but I do remember I watched a guy. I was like, ah, it's bullshit. Everyone loves it so much. It'll suck. They're fucking good movies. (laughs) They're really fucking good movies. Deliverance and I have too, a though. real soft spot because I, you know, I was such a Soprano fan. That kind of for me was first, and then I went back and did more mafia shit. Yeah. Um. But yeah, man, I I think Deliverance, as brutal as it is, I think it really it has. I think to me, I love that it feeds the mind. That what happens? Where is the edge of society? And if I was in charge, what would I really do? Yeah. And also that you know, what does it mean to be a man in society and then outside of it? And do these like hyper manly traits really protect us or not? Again, I think this is one of those. There's a lot of interesting headspace in this. The movie. 70s was just an amazing time to make these kinds of movies because yeah. no one wanted to pay for them. So you just made them in a way that was, like yeah. you said, feed the mind. I think that's a really the artistic great way to put it. Endeavors could matter as much stake wise as the financial ones a lot of times. That's it for deliverance i hope you enjoyed it uh it's a tough movie sometimes but what a fucking great picture man could have absolutely won best picture we're going to continue so again we're hoping we have our list of oscar movies this year that we liked well enough to talk about um if those are available we're going to try to slot them in man there's a lot of good movies on that list we want to talk about if not we're going to keep going on other movies that were nominated for best picture uh, our first alternate up, All the President's Men. So possibly that could be coming up soon. In my top five awesome movies of movies. all time. So. 
Yeah, that's a really fucking good one. That'll be a phone. Another 70s one. Um, so good time. Wait, that was 70s, right? Not 80s? 76. 76. Yep, 76. All right. Well, that's it, guys. We hope you're enjoying it. Make sure you uh, are subscribed to the show. Make sure you go to our Patreon, filmalchemist, or patreon.com. We have cool shit, Pod. man. Come on. We got a lot of good stuff over there for you. Uh, make sure you're on the YouTube Film Alchemist. Make sure you go to MisfitParade.net to see all of our short horror mm-hmm. films. Uh, make sure you're leaving five-star ratings and reviews. Find us on the socials, especially TikTok now. We would appreciate having Woo! you over there. More than anything, guys, thank you for making the time. Uh, I'm glad to be back post-sickness, hoping for uh, health and power as we uh, plow through these all You sound movies. great. Yeah? Thanks, man. I appreciate that. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> That's when you turn around, like Ned Beatty does that at one time. He's like, ha, ha, to Lewis. He goes, I fucking hate him. I fucking hate him under his breath. I was like, that is the most relatable thing ever in a movie. That's the, that's the thing that's really persevered to 2024. Ned Beatty. Just kind of like love hating your friends hard. 